Welcome to The Truth In His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with the founder and principal of Magma Build Studios. Their mission is to bring ideas to life and are known for problem solving and forward thinking. Um, they're made up of metalsmiths, blacksmiths, woodworkers, CAD designers, glass blowers, and other creative people who don't fit into a specific title. Please welcome Eric Wanveer. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. I am as well. Um, I mean, when it comes to like kind of rethinking and disruptive sort of thinking is what I was picking up. You know, I kind of kind of dig it and it aligns with what my values are. So um, this is going to be a treat, I think. And before we get super, super into it and I start peppering you with these questions, I want to really open it up to lay the, uh, the groundwork and the foundation of like, what's the story? Let's get, get let's get the story from you. Like, what is your kind of introductory story? What is the Eric Juan Veer story? Yeah, well, it's, I, I come from, um, I've uh, come by art, uh, sort of a family generational thing. I'm, um, as far as we know, third generation of artists in, uh, in our family. Um, my, uh, my grandfather, uh, you can see one of his paintings behind me, uh, is a, uh, what was a Chinese uh a painter and uh, did a lot of uh, focus mainly on Chinese calligraphy and chi um, Chinese brushwork. He was raised in China, pre-communist, pre-Mao, and came over here before World War II. And that was a crazy story. But uh, he was an artist and um, developed a lot of a lot of where we all all of his children were artists in some way. My father is a um, wood a wood turner, um, lathe master, and carpenter. So I was holding a hammer from the time I could pick one up and out in the backyard with him you know, screwing something together and playing with two by fours or doing something. So I've been building and messing with stuff, like literally some of my earliest memories. Um, and then I would go to see my grandfather, some of my earliest memories and surrounded by, he was a collector. He was, he did his business in an antiques dealership and sold high fine art and antiques, mostly from China. Um, but was able to sell his business in the seventies and retire to West Virginia. He bought half a mountain and did the uh, Chinese sage thing and spent his whole later. I don't know. He got good 30, 40 years in of painting every day and swimming in the stream. So I, he, wow. he did something right. He's been my model. He's basically, I'm doing all of this so that I can sell it all and go live in the mountains and just make my art every day. But <laughs> No, I, I I dig it. I mean, I, I dig it. When you described it, I was like, my, my mind, my mind's eye lit up. I was like, tell me more about this buying a half a mountain and kind of doing the stream uh, thing. Yeah, I was. Oh, he had a pond. He had a. I mean, I I think can't remember the exact acreage, but it was it was enough that we were in the middle of nowhere, Shenandoah Valley, uh, West Virginia, and and it was um, that was very formative. You know, he had his painting studio right next to the guest room, so every time I'd stay with him, I'd get up in the morning and go over and do his because he painted uh, two or three times a day every day. It was part of his, you know, practice. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about a little bit. Um, so you're not only like in, in the, the smithing sort of way and working with, with metal and, and and working with the hammer, as you, you touched on earlier. Um, but, you know, artists is the thing. That's that's the thing that's out there. I mean, I saw that Baker Fund uh, profile that's a little a little out there mm -hmm. a little from the past. So. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your your first experience, not like the uh, consumer side of it, but or the audience side of it. But your your first instance where you're like, I want to want to get into art. I want to pursue art. What's your first experience with art? Um, it goes back with my family early on. I um, most families, you know, they always tell their kids, you know, or their you know parents tell their kids, oh, you shouldn't get into art. You'll never make a living at it, you, you know. 
Um, and while they always told me there, there are easier ways to make money, um, being an artist can be really fulfilling. Plus if you, you know, um, the whole business side of art is a whole nother discussion. So we'll, we'll leave that to come. But, uh, but yeah, I always was, I always, I was always all, all drawn to it from an early age de- determining what art I was going to do, yeah. um, was a totally different question, but I always knew I wanted to be an artist even before I knew I needed to know what I wanted to be. Like, it's just <laughs> what I was like. I just, I was making stuff. I was drawing stuff. I had sketchbooks. I was stripping musical instruments and repainting them in middle school. So <laughs> playable wise, I wanted them to be functional. I, right. I always, um, I have now and always want because my father was a carpenter. He is a carpenter. Um, Functionality, durability. You know, if you're building a thing that is, uh, has a use, then it should work, you know, (laughs) like, Uh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it should work well and it should last and it should not be something that, uh, you know, works once or twice or, you know, looks good as long as you don't use it. Um, So I I was always, you know, the, the mix of craftsmanship and artistry have always been something that, uh, have 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 come fundamentally to me yeah. uh it, and then it was always well how do i add something unique how do i do something that hasn't been done how do i um monetize it and commercialize it in any way so that i can get out in the world and uh um and we you know coming up it was such a weird time i was coming up in the mix of models um with technology and everything it was still you could still go to galleries and retail places that there were two or three times as many of as there are now, they just yeah. don't exist anymore. And you could go to them and you would show them a physical portfolio or bring a sculpture with you yeah. and be like, Hey, can I like put this in your shop and do all like, you don't really, like you can still sort of do stuff like that, but that's not really the way you would do things now. Right. Um, the internet, you know, putting it all on the internet, having an, a, a website portfolio, all that stuff is far more important than um, only going around and trying to get some retail gallery to put your stuff up. Sure. Um, maybe if you're on Fifth Avenue or, or something like that in Manhattan, but um, but those guys aren't going to take walk-ins off the street. <laughs> no, I was like, what? What is your relationship what, with us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are you here? <laughs> Do you have an appointment? <laughs> exactly. Um, so you know, I, I, you know, I was right at that sort of transition of well. You still go out, you pitch yourself that way, you go to the parties, you do the internet too. You know, it was this just huge mix of things um, and trying to find my way um, into what I did was really the hard part, uh, knowing that I wanted to be, I, I, I spent a long time as a musician, mm-hmm. um, really loving music and thinking I might be a musician as an artist. But to me, um, I have a very sort of Socratic view on arts with a capital A. Yeah. Um, and to me, if it's creative, then it's kind of art in a certain sense. Um, you can rip that apart and parse it all out and get really specific. And certainly you can say some things aren't art. But as a casting a general brush, I like to say most creative endeavors are art at some level. How would you define yourself? Like you, you, you touched on the arts with the capital A. Um, and in, from your vantage point, being in design and being an artist with design and connecting those kind of dots, how do you de- define yourself or how do you describe yourself? Do you even do that? Tell me about that. I, I honestly, I tend not to, but but you, you you have to. In the business, you have to. You know, if I were uh, an artist just sitting up there ephemeral in my cave doing whatever the hell I wanted to do for myself, um, I wouldn't call it anything. <laughs> but no, I... I um, I think it usually depends on who I'm talking to is what it comes down to. Um, uh, but um, I feel like um, one of my best uh, torchbearers is Rebecca Hofberger. And uh, 
I find her description of me to be the one that I started to use a lot, um, which is artist, inventor, uh, designer, yeah. uh, sort of as one, like with hyphens, you know, yeah. like one, one thing, um, because, um, because I, I, and I feel, I feel like that fits, um, I, I do invent things and that's always been, you know, some of my biggest artists and, you know, I view them as artists as well. Um, we're Leonardo da Vinci, yeah. um, you know, Ben Franklin, as Americans, I was always truly inspired by Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, not as revolutionary guys, but I mean, if I went to Monticello, I think when I was 12 or 13, and that was truly formative as an artist yeah. and to be like, I want to walk around a house that I designed the whole house. I designed most of the furniture. I paint i i picked the paint colors but in some cases they were making paints from pigments that they were you know they were, they were yeah. getting around them you know like so the level of artistry the level of knowledge architecture design fabrication classics all that stuff proportion balance everything that you talk about in the art world these you know old school cats were doing and just you know on on large and, and that's what yeah. i it wasn't it wasn't that i necessarily needed to have any fame out of it I just like my grandfather, you know, people don't know who he is, but he did it, you know, and he got yeah. to live in a house that he designed. He got to build all this stuff. He got to spend his whole life making and surrounded by art. And that's all I wanted to be. So those, those guys were always inspirations because uh, it was hard to find that in the, in, in the contemporary sense, everybody gets so pigeonholed. Um, and I didn't think I was, I didn't want to just be a specialist. Yeah. Um, I wanted, to, I wanted to be a, um, a generalist, I guess, in that sense, you know, sort of more of a Renaissance man, you know, like I wanted mm -hmm. to be, and, and to me, the combination of it all is what, and that's where like collaboration and combination are an area that I thrive. Yeah. And I love working with other people. I love getting new ideas. I, uh, and that's why the, the group that I've pulled together have become, you know, so important because the design, the team that I have put in with the clients that we get either, you know, fine artists or, um, architects or whatever it is they're doing, um, they look to us to be able to help fix things or come up, you know, often they conceive things that yeah. the real world butts heads with, you know, yeah. and it's so many people, it's easy to draw a picture and which is all well and good if you're just yeah. a painter or a graphic artist and you get into Photoshop or whatever program you use or Blender or whatever and render something and it's gorgeous. But if you have to produce that in the real world, there are physical limitations. Yeah. Well, and then and to be able to know that whether it's materials or um aesthetics yeah. you know what the client wants it to look like you know or, or, or right up against oh this physically can't be done and there's this sort of spectrum um that i always sort of look at of okay oh and then the big specter within that spectrum yeah. is budget and that <laughs> well, well that's that's one of the things like as you're, as you're describing it and you're, you're keying in on what that next question is going to be like it's as if you got the questions already yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but it, it's it's I, I start looking at that people when they're in this sort of like overarching founder director kind of like leader sort of spot are you more oriented around the how or the why that's the thing that i start looking at and you know i, I understand that kind of spectrum piece you were talking about there and i know for myself I just naturally, and I love the multi-hyphenate thing too, by the way, um, because I've talked to people who like like what I do and they say, oh, you know, this is like anthropology, right? You know, you're doing some curating, right? You know, you're right, doing this, right. this, and this. Yep. And I, I find that I'm very interested in how people do things and naturally what pops in my head 
with the way that people do things because I'm not necessarily connected to it because I'm not the person doing it. I think that at least gives me, hey, here's maybe an idea. You transmute it, do what you need to do with it. But here's an idea and maybe you can apply it. That's what I naturally do. For instance, um, two days ago, I was at a fashion show. First time I've ever gone to a fashion show. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, what? I like this experience. This could go this way. Maybe you could do this. You could do that. And really thinking about it from having over 400 conversations with artists, having all of these different kind of cross sections that ultimately the end result is a different perspective. Right. And it is hard to kind of tie it. And I was like, I'd rather just do it myself which is what I'm kind of getting from some of the things like bringing these ideas to life. That's what really, really, really resonated with me with reading over the background for you and for, um, for your, your team. So with that, let's, let's segue into it. Tell us about uh, Magma Bill Studios and how it came about. Um, well, it started with um, me and um, um, my early um, artist partner, Tim McFadden. And yeah. um, we started with the glass blowing stuff and I was out, you know, just trying to, make it as an artist doing sculptures and applying for stuff and doing things here and there. And then um, messing around with Tim, I was able to figure out like, Hey, um, you can fuse metal and glass. And I, you know, between what I was learning with glass blowing and, you know, just, just a few trips to Corning and the history of glass blowing, it'll teach you a lot about what, I mean, the Romans could do some amazing stuff. And there's some pieces that are 2000 plus years old there that'll blow your mind. Wow. And if you want, and that's where, and that's when I talk about durability, that's my standard, you know, like, or, you know, when you're, when you're going into a museum and the buildings around us that we all live in now have crumbled to dust and our sculpture yeah. still stands, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about durability, you know, like, and I, and I like that half the pieces I make literally can, you know, as long as they're not melted down in a furnace, we'll be in the dirt 3000 years from now. And like, that's a big part of what we do. So in along this studying of me getting involved in all of me making pieces that last, yeah. um, I learned that glass is one of the best materials for that endeavor. Uh, as long as it's not hit with a hammer or, you know, destroyed in a volcanic eruption. And in some cases, some of them are preserved by the ash. It's wild, yeah. but there's some amazing stuff. Um, glass will last forever. It is UV, like 100% UV resistant. It won't break down. There's no plastic that will ever compare. To what glass is capable of um and so it's like okay well how do we get metal and glass to really if we can do and they're both and uh, after i was doing a lot of glass blowing i realized well a big pot of molten glass and a big pot of molten metal um you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference until you poke at it like if you just look at it with your eyes and you had yeah. two of these pots sitting there you'd be like well they're both two pots of liquid magma uh I'm obviously not going to touch either one. I mean, you can fuck <laughs> it with a stick, but I mean, you know, and you will be able to tell the difference, but um, it's just like, wow, these things are really similar at this, at this yeah. temperature. So I was like, Hey Tim, can we start doing these experiments? What if we start treating metal like glass? And he's like, yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> let's play. And we got in, in our first experiment, five out of five, we made um, not just knives. They were not, they were, they were, I made these copper blanks that were some letter openers. I think one might've been like a fork. One was like a carving set, um, but all like um, metal objects around this big, a couple yeah. art, purely art decorative type knife things that you hang on the wall. The best one, of course, I, I destroyed trying to figure out what the limits were later, but all five pieces came out and all five worked. I have a handful of them now. Um, that I use as my letter openers and stuff. And <laughs> at the time, we weren't even, we didn't really care about aesthetics. We were just like, 
can we get this thing to do what we want and stick on the metal the way what we want yeah. and have it come out of the annealing oven? And then we're like, done. And we were like, bah. you know, 50, 50 chance it works at all on one of them. And five out of five worked uh, wow. to the point we were like, how strong is this? <laughs> and that's when I started taking the first couple to the anvil literally and beat the crap out of them with hammers until they broke. And I had to work up to full on sledgehammers to break them. And okay, it was yeah. like, holy cow. Uh, there is something here. The one the, the, the nicest one that I broke, uh, I, I didn't break actually trying to break it. I broke it work hardening the copper because I, I went back and was forging the copper because I didn't think that it was going to be, I thought it was all going to be throwaway crap. So I didn't yeah. do anything to make the blade look good. So I was like, oh shit, well, I guess I, this is like a really cool piece. <laughs> so I went back and tried to work the metal with the glass on it. And it actually made it about three quarters of the way huh. forging. Yeah. Beating it with a beating the metal with a hammer while it's with glass handle attached to it. Um, so in retrospect, uh, you know, if I had just done it in the right order, it all would have worked out great. But, you know, these. so this was the first experiment. Yeah. We were like, holy cow, it works. This is awesome. What else can we do? We started doing some things and we're like, and that's when it occurred to me. I was like, Tim, I can make us a special blowpipe and we can come up with these things. And we're not just doing it like the way everybody else is doing it. We're not just going to Home Depot and buying plumbing pipe and just, you know, like, it becomes its own thing. And then we're like, and he's like, well, shit, just make all that up and then we'll see if it works. And if it works, then we'll keep going. And that's what, and every time we did it, every experiment worked better than the last. And um, we kept pushing it and pushing it. And then I got the science figured out and I went to um, some, some material scientists at the uh, Towson and we're like, Hey, you know, will you look at this? And they put it in the electron microscope and help us figure out what was happening scientifically. So we, knew a little bit about like what was actually happening and yeah. how and why and all this stuff so we can know its limitations really. Yeah. Um, and then we just started making light bulbs. We started making faucets. We started getting it all out there and that really differentiated us um, as these guys that can do stuff that's different. Um, and that was always what I was trying to do. Um, like I said, the search, searching for the unique idea is hard. Um, and, and, trial and error and and um improvisation is a thing too like as a as a um as a musician and an improvisationalist i sort of think of us more as um improvisational musicians versus like um wrote music uh people you know playing only written music and, sure. and then i mean the team um you know so like every all of, as i as we grew i would bring people on and um of the people that stay with me one of the key things that i found to growth is partners yeah, um, yeah. Like, and I mean, partner companies, you know, finding other people who already do really good stuff in what whether it's, you know, we have a lot of 3D printers in-house, but um, there are some great companies around town and nationally that, you know, I don't need to invest half a million or plus in like massive, large format, amazing high resolution printers. There's people who, who do that. Um, that, you know, same thing with like machining and different. We have certain CNC machines we do in-house, but when it gets to a certain level, like if we're working with a casino and we need to make or you know, a, 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 some other type of commercial hospitality group and we need to make hundreds of, of some yeah. light fixture or something, um, it's just not cost effective to have an artist sit there and make it all by hand. Right. Um, so we have a whole spectrum now of partners, both small scale, like freelance artists, you know, we've got um, people on call that, you know, can do Smithsonian grade gold leafing if you need it, like, I, um, or, or all kinds of restoration work, but I can't keep that person employed 24 hours or, or no. uh, 40 hours a week. <laughs> no, you know, so call. The, yeah, exactly. So one of the huge things is finding people like that, that you like, and you are good 
are and they're artists too. They're they're all craftsmen of the highest standard, sure. um, which is great to surround yourself with those type of people. It makes for great, you know, uh, after parties when you all finish a project together and stuff like that. So that's key. Uh, and then the people that you keep on, like that are close to me, um, are even more m- more and so uh, more important. And uh, we all have. It's an interesting mix. We want to think. We want to think enough alike that when we're all in the same room, we can tolerate each other, and um, we we aren't we you know nobody's screaming at each other about the politics of the day or any of that. Yeah. Um, but we want enough difference that you get that creative spark. That when you all sit down at the collaborative table, you have some level of different ideas. Um, you know, you, we are able to take whatever the client gives us and run with it. And, and it really depends on the job. Sometimes it's a big collaborative effort. Sometimes it's just me and uh, one of the other guys, but um, there, there's a core group of five or six people that I've had for with me for a long time that um, they're all amazing artists. Most of them come out of Micah. Um, but those are the people that seem to thrive. Um, yeah. Also a lot of New Yorkers, <laughs> um, but, um, but the, we seem to do really good with real artists yeah, I, I think um I think like listening to this, this is like I feel like you've earned another like title to add to your multi hyphenate. I feel like Alchemist is in there somewhere because yeah. I, that that vibe I I'm getting to use that too. Yeah. I mean, what were you were you, were you I'm still stuck on and the, and the good thing is you've answered so many of the questions that I had for later in this podcast already, which is really great. Yeah. Um <laughs> like the the i'm still stuck on this this comparison between like i i guess magma uh glass and magma like 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 metal or what have you it's like oh oh they look the same and and not even thinking about it and the way that you kind of described that and, and broke it down it's like oh this is the standard that's here this is how this work is being done it's a very it, it feels like it's a very an older process in like generally speaking but uh, you're you're adding a different sort of philosophy to it when you've compared it to the music component or what have you in terms of collaboration and it's just something that is like so so old in some regards that it, it it's like you don't even recognize it but then it's like well we're doing it in a very different way and we're actually combining two different things and when I saw the video of uh, the TED talk or what have you, and the light bulb and the water, I was like, "What is this guy doing? Am I about to about to watch an execution here?" <laughs> and it was just like, "This is really cool. This is like really, really cool." To be honest. Well, thanks. Yeah, and that's and that's really those early days are really the the fundamentals of what we are, and that's um, whether it's making a light bulb that can do that stuff, and then all the applications that you can do with that, or a glass faucet, or um, all the other crazy things that we were, and those were just the early things. I mean, some of the stuff we're working on now um, is so cool, you know, and that's, but everybody with us has this sort of mindset. Um, and if you're going to be part of the core, like I've tried to, um, like I've, I've done a lot better. Like if I need tradespeople, yeah. um, I do a lot better hiring tradespeople um, as like, I'll hire a welding out. Like if I need 5,000 lineal feet of welding, I'll do better hiring them because, um, a lot of trades people, and this is one thing I think if I ever, uh, you know, won the billion dollar lottery, one of the things I would do is, uh, the mega millions or whatever, I'd, I'd start a school to teach fabrication so -hmm. that you leave with a four year degree and, and art school students, like for everyone, but it would be, you know, like, because it's such a varied skill and there's so much required. And so everyone with us is like, you know, you need, so you need to know a lot of math 
you need to know um, a lot of different procedures from woodworking to metalworking to welding. Um, all the guys that work there do all of the different forms of welding. They're all, you know, they all do TIG, they all do MIG. They all know the table saw. I got one guy that does things. He's a wizard. He does stuff with the table saw. Um, he's in our shop in Brooklyn now. We, we uh, But it's amazing, just amazing. Um, so you, um, you got to have these kind of wizards around you um, that, and then we all inspire each other and we all yeah. come up with crazy ideas and um, we all have projects that we're working on ourselves. They take forever because, uh, you know, they're personal projects. So um, they sort of sit for a while, but um, every once in a while uh, you just come on something that's just awesome and having everybody to just play off of each other is um, important. And it's aesthetic as well as uh, a technical. It, it's I'm just hearing like idea factory or what have you. I mean, I'd love to kind of check out the space or what have you and just kind of. Yeah, see you're guys, welcome. Anytime. See Absolutely. you guys do do the thing or what have you, because I, I find like, you know, one of the things you touched on as well of like, you know, just makes for really, really interesting post uh, post work conversations and hangs. Oh, so yeah. That, that yeah. brings me to this. Who's in, in, in terms of like the artists that you've been around and being in the design space and being in the various working spaces, uh, metal, wood, glass, so on. Um, and, um, you, you know who who are the best hangs like who are like having the best conversations you know as far as like artists what have you what sorts of conversations are you guys having that may not necessarily be work related or maybe uh like process related but who's like the best hang man that's interesting um because there's different personality types you know yeah 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 there really are um i don't know if you know um i don't know if you know carl ekdahl this is a bit of an extreme example, but I love that guy. I'll promote him forever. Um, he and he is to 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 use kind of the answer. Like he's the epitome of the question you're asking. Like he, if if you want to be surprised by some crazy shit, if you want to hear something you've never heard, if you want to hear a political angle that you never considered, with a guy who can back it up, like not just well, let me pull some stuff out of this, you know, out of my ass. Like this guy can back it all up. He's um, amazing um uh but he um what is his 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 we we work with him he's one of the guys that um i kind of pull into he's he's actually i'm partnering him with this new method of this thing we've invented um for machining metal um and and trans trans other people have messed with it trans tra transposing two-dimensional art into three-dimensional art yeah um but i i took the angle like you know what we've been talking about it i wanted to preserve stuff um when I first conceived the idea, it was my grandfather has lots and lots of these paintings um, and they're all rice paper. Um, and that's, you know, part of the whole artistry and I guess ethos and and philosophy behind Chinese brushwork and is is the sort of, um, you know, Asian sort of Buddhist uh, impermanence thing. Yeah. So the fact that the painting won't last forever is part of the art. Yeah. And I get that. Um, I mean, one of his practices was he would he would have he would paint so much and it was all paper. He would have so many paintings they'd literally be stacked four or five feet high for a couple of months worth of paintings, and he would burn them every month. And he just set everything on fire. The ones wow. that we have are the ones that were good enough to keep that he liked for whatever reason. Wow. And so, and that was just his practice. So, I mean, yeah. I get the impermanence, and I don't and I don't want to um, take anything away from that from an artistic standpoint. There's a sure. lot. There's, there's a there's a lot there. Um, but at the same time, as a metal guy and his grandson and um, 
and sort of an archive guy, I was like, I want to make this last forever. And I know how to do that. So I was like, well, how how can I, um, at least forever in terms of humanity's definition of forever. So I was like, how can I turn this and every other painting we have left um, into something that will last forever? So I started working with Carl and he's, and he's built his own CNC machines. He's got various milling machines that he's built from scratch. And um, the tolerances are through the roof far, far exceed most of what we could get on a lot of commercial available stuff. Um, So he and I worked together to turn two-dimensional stuff into three-dimensional bronzes um, wow. that have the definition of this. And then, cause I can patina, I go nuts with patinas. Yeah. And uh, initially we had some great success with his paintings, but I want to translate the method to both original work, to be able to do original works in this, in this media, in this uh, format, as well as pretty much any, there will, there's some limitations from a graphic technical perspective, but uh, hopefully pretty much any 2D image. So to take like a painting or any any classic work or any graphic and be able to turn it into a bronze that has three-dimensionality to it. Yeah. Patina work or whatever, brass, stainless steel, whatever you want to pay for, you can do it in wood. Um, but so we started doing this. And, but Carl, Carl Ekdahl is one of these guys. Uh, he is, um, his business is he makes music synthesizers. Huh. He, just, uh, he just did a custom one for Pink Floyd um he uh most of most of the like people both um the roots like anyone both uh i think look up ken k k n a s i believe is what he calls his music if if that doesn't get it look up the moisture the moisturizer (laughs) um uh um synth effects board or carl ekdahl the moisturizer and it'll come up. And that's what he does. That's like, he has a business around it. He's, he builds robots to build these things. He builds this thing. He designed it. He designed all of the mechanics. He's like an experimental music dude. This thing does stuff that nothing else does. It's an amazing little box. Wow. It's this mix of analog and, and he fits in because it's this, like all of us were these. I, and that's, and I like alchemist because I use that a lot. Um, Cause it's this melding of everything, you know, like yeah. it's, it's this mix. And so, Carl's like, you know, you can put analog and digital together. What's the problem? You know, and, and then he makes this box and this little thing that plugs into computers or your guitar, whatever. Yeah. And it works wherever, whatever, whoever. And it's like, wow, man, that's all. And it's, it does amazing stuff. And if you're like some weird noise, noise freak and you get off on experimental noise music, then it's your bag. If you're Imagine Dragons, they use it too. It's just like uh, Trent Reznor uses his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, and Carl does no advertisement. He's like a, um, just almost an anti-capitalist. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, wow. and I li- uh, so yeah, he's a great one to talk with. Um, I like, um, uh, yeah, it's, you never know what you're going to hear with him. Um, <laughs> the guys at, um, the guys at paradise labs are fun. You know, Pete and Adam. Um, yeah. and then I hang, I don't know, you know, um, Ron Smythe. No. Uh, he, he, uh, he does wall craft finishing and lion's wood. He's just opening lion's wood is his painting stuff. Cause he's a painter by, yeah. from an artist standpoint, his art, his art is painting. Um, and he's, he's, he's wild. He's fun. Uh, he <laughs> has some great, he throws some great parties. Um, he got this great deal on this house out in Owings Mills and has built it all himself. Uh, well not like he just kept putting layer upon layer on it and he's got a 10 foot deep koi pond and, uh, sauna out back and bandstand and so yeah he's he's, this, he's he's a fun one he gets some good people out out there that's 10 on 10 yeah so 
in, in these in these final moments, I think that's going to be a good spot for us uh, because there's there's a lot in there. I'm like, I got things to research now. So thank you. Thank you for the extra work. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so real quick, I want to go through um, some rapid fire things that I have for you. And, you know, I always tell people don't overthink them. Brevity is key here. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just fun questions. Uh, one is ridiculous. I'm going to say it already, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to start off with the ridiculous one because I think it's very funny. Um, what is the better fusion, peanut butter and jelly or a Reese's cup? Uh, yeah, peanut butter and jelly. Okay, you're, you're a crunchy guy or a creamy guy? Creamy. Okay. Uh, what is the best best country you visited? <laughs> That's uh, uh, tough to define, I guess. But I'm gonna probably or your go favorite with Den. Oh, well, that's tougher. I, I, well, actually, easier in some ways. I would say Iceland is my favorite, but I think the best might be Denmark. Okay. They had their shit together in a way that I didn't know was possible. Um, I haven't been to Japan. I've heard Japan's like that, too. Yeah. Um, but, man, was it civilized and nice and just, you know, that image that everybody has in their head of what America, the greatness of America is. Like, they seem to be pulling it off over there. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, I've watched enough travel shows. I'm like, you know what? I think they get it. I think they got it. Yeah, they got it. I mean, you got to put up with the whole six months of no sun. But other than that, man, they got to figure it out. It's just a great. Uh, yeah. So Denmark and Iceland are up there. Uh, Iceland, I, I mean, they have it together, too. But they, they have so few people you can go two weeks without even seeing another human. Mm-hmm. Um, the natural beauty in Iceland is just amazing. I think in that like six months of darkness, I could just work on being a vampire. It would be like just... Oh yeah, there's plenty of stuff to do in Reykjavik. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, and this is this always this always is a thing. So if you have to add an extra definition around it, feel free. But is there a gadget that comes to mind that you're like, you know what? Because you're working with several different things, so I almost regret asking this question. But is there a gadget that comes to mind? That you're like, this had a big impact on me. This had a big change for me. And, and as far as like how I do my work, how you do, uh, how, how you're living, no have you. A lot of people usually throw out cell phone, which, eh. But what is, what's the thing for you? Um, I think for what we do, for, for me, the big switch, like switching to using the computer, um, which kind of works as the cell phone too. Like this thing, this new, I got this new fold. I yeah. love it. The, like you can draw, it's got this pen and everything with it. And it's like this thing in particular is like the best thing ever. Yeah. But it's still just a bigger version of a laptop or a smaller version of a laptop. Um, but ultimately, the when I think back to how I learned how to fabricate and how I learned how to build um, was old school. You know, like pull out a measuring tape, get on the fab table, learn how to do it, which is really the only way to do it yeah. to really learn how to make stuff. But the, the, the switch, like then you could draw everything. Like I could, I know how to do stuff old school drafting. So like I can get out my little thin pens and my rulers and do it old school um i never do but teaching myself and i had to do this i made the conscious decision when i was like okay we're gonna make this magma build studios we're gonna make this a business i'm gonna stop being the guy working out of my garage as an artist and make a business out of this uh i need to learn software i need to learn rendering i need to learn cad i need to learn uh cnc work you know, um, there's so much, and which is like so many different programs. There's probably 10 different programs and I couldn't say which one's more important. You kind of need all of them to do all of the stuff that we do. Um, but even just down to like the, um, you know, the cam software, you know, just being able to learn about all of this stuff. Um, and when I was learning the fab shop that I used, 
Um, we did none of it. We, yeah. If we did, like when I learned how to do anything, we would send stuff out. We would make no files ourselves. We did drawings and picture stuff and graphics and maquettes. If they yeah. wanted anything three-dimensional, I made a three-dimensional maquette in real life, which was great. Yeah, and yeah. I love that. Um, and you end up with these mini sculptures and it's so much fun. But, um, but to be able to go on to sketch up and to yeah. do what took me days in real life to come up with three different maquettes that we use none of them. And then going to sketch up and it's five minutes a piece or 10 minutes a piece and the client gets it the same way. Right. Was huge. And um, so it wasn't just the machine itself. It was all the software and switching from an artist who does everything old school on paper <laughs> to an artist who's like, no, I'm cool with this digital thing and doing it all on that now because you can just port it all and um, change, you know, transfer the files and all of a sudden you're 3D printing. You know, and yeah. no, I, I mean, like I said, uh, you know, as a and, and, and that's kind of where we're going to wrap, I think. But as I, you know, as I didn't say this earlier, but, you know, I, like I said, I'm blown away so far in this conversation. And as a person who I wanted to go to a trade school to do drafting, that, that was really going to be my path at one point. <laughs> I'm like kind of getting the itch right now. I, I don't like, like it. I'm, uh, like, I'm good at this. You know, I'm good at the talking, not the, the you know, you said math. I was like, it reminds me of my. Well, and that was physics. one of the things I always hate. I had to uh, I had to get a, get my get around it. I, you know, I think of the math we do is geometry. It's a different thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it. So with that, um, I want to, again, thank you for for coming on here and, uh, and chatting it out with me, spending a yarn, as it were. And yeah. I want to um, invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks about you, uh, Magma Build Studios, uh, the, you know, where to check you out on social media website. The floor is yours. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate the time. It's been great. I enjoyed talking with you. Um, you can find us at um, magmabuildstudios.com on our website. And we also have uh, a bunch on Instagram. You can check us out at magmabuildstudios um, on Instagram as well. And there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Eric Wanveer from Magma Build Studios for coming onto the podcast and chatting it up with me and sharing a bit of his story and his background. And for Eric Wanveer, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, design, creativity in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. 